The scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, and 14 through 23. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified that God, that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Let's ask God to help us understand this portion of his word rightly. Please pray with me. Our Father, we come now and ask that you would be at work here this evening. We ask that you would help us to understand what we have just heard from the scriptures and also to take it to heart and believe it. Father, no matter where we're coming from tonight, we pray that you would speak to us here. If we're here tonight coming from a place of doubt and unbelief and skepticism regarding Jesus and Christianity and the church, we pray that you would wrestle with us and reveal yourself to us, O God, in a true way. If we are coming here tonight and we are sad and despondent, if we are worried, if grief has taken us in the past days, we ask tonight, God, that you would instill in us hope and joy that only comes through knowing Jesus. Tonight, Father, if we are here and we find ourselves afraid, uncertain of what is to come in our lives in the coming days or weeks or months, we ask that you would give to us a firm and sound assurance that you love us and that you are for us in Jesus. Father, no matter where we are tonight, emotionally or spiritually or psychologically, we pray for you to come and help us because, God, as each week we're reminded, we always need your help. You made us good in so many ways. Humanity is glorious and beautiful, and yet in so many ways it's deeply broken and hurting. Father, that is where we find ourselves here tonight, a mixture of beauty and brokenness, a mixture of great, great wonder and great, great wretchedness. Lord, we pray tonight that you would remind us that we are in many ways worse than we ever thought we are because of our status before you as rebels, and yet we are also loved by you more deeply than we ever thought possible. Help us to believe those things tonight as we consider the resurrection of Jesus And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This week I received a uh, funny news story from a friend from ABC News. And here's the title of the news story. Zombie cat. 
buried kitty, believed dead, meows back to life. And here's what happened. A cat in Florida that was hit by a car and then buried apparently didn't stay dead for long. The cat's owner was a guy named Hudson who's 52 years old. And he said he found Bart, his cat, interesting name for a cat, two weeks ago in the middle of the road, lifeless in a puddle of blood. And Hudson said he asked his friend to help bury the two-year-old cat because the landscaper, he was a landscaper, was so distraught after losing his dear companion cat that he'd had since he was a kitten. Um, So Hudson had his friend help bury him. And five days later, the cat shows up in a neighbor's yard alive, but weak and dehydrated and in need of medical attention. And Hudson opened the door and his neighbor was standing there with a cat in her hand. And she said, Bart is not dead. I said, that's impossible. We buried Bart. Bart has been treated, according to the report, for a broken jaw, open facial wounds, and a ruined eye. But he is alive, even though he had been dead and buried. Hudson is quoting as saying, this is unbelievable. I don't have any explanation for it. I saw him with my own eyes. I know he was dead. He was cold and stiff. Now my kids believe that all of their cats will also rise from the dead. I pray that that doesn't happen. No offense to you cat lovers, but I told them I don't think so. It's uh, very interesting how stories about about resurrection, about new life, surprise us and in many ways inspire us. Christianity is a religion that over a billion people alive today adhere to. And Christianity, in its very essence, is a religion centered on resurrection. It is a faith in not a cat being raised from the dead, although I'm sure that this story is verifiable. It's, it's a faith resting in a man. Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish rabbi, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, being raised up from the dead after he had died three days earlier and been buried. Jesus is alive. That is the core confession of the Christian faith. It's in many ways the, the core message of the Christian scriptures. And it's what we celebrate each year as believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus on Easter. And so I want to think about it with you just for a couple of minutes this morning. And what I want you to get, really, above all else this morning, is that the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is central. It is the most important thing in Christianity. If it is true, then you must, I think, consider everything else about Christianity to be true, possibly as well. But if it's false then I want to put forward to you that you can throw Christianity out the window along with the resurrection. Think about it this way. I grew up in uh, the West Texas panhandle town of Amarillo. And if you ever have been through Amarillo, which many of you have on Interstate 40, if you're going west on the east side of Amarillo, there's a very famous steakhouse called the Big Texan. And uh, locals don't go there much. I think I've been there like twice in my life. But some of you might even have been there. And the Big Texan is famous not because their steaks are terrific. They're, They're okay. It's famous, rather, for the challenge that they offer anyone who walks in the door. The challenge is if you can eat a 72 ounce sirloin along with all of the trimmings, the baked potato, the salad, everything, so that your plate is cleared, you get the steak for free. The entire meal is free, and they'll take your picture and put your picture up on the wall. There's a famous picture in there of a trucker who some years ago came through Amarillo and ate two in 
one sitting. Quick math, that's 12 pounds of meat, which is disgusting. Um, But imagine that you go into the Big Texan and uh, sit down and begin to eat your 72-ounce meal, and you wipe out the baked potato, you eat your entire salad, you take care of the corn, but the steak is just sitting there, nice and full, on the middle of your plate, and you call over the waitress and you say, I'm finished, I've done it, check it out. What do you think her response is going to be? She's going to look at you and say, this is ridiculous. There's six plus pounds of meat sitting there on your plate. You're not even close to finish. In fact, you've missed the central part of the meal. I think oftentimes we do something very similar to that when it comes to Christianity, whether we're followers of Jesus or not. We think that What's not really essential, what's not really central, what's not, not really the main thing is the main thing. And therefore, we, we forget what's most important. We might even throw Jesus and whether or not he's been raised from the dead out entirely and focus on what's proverbially the, the baked potato of Christianity. I want you to see tonight that the resurrection is, it's the 72-ounce steak in the meal that is Christianity. It is central and it is essential. Those are really the two points that I think the Apostle Paul makes for us in these verses that were read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection is central and the resurrection is essential. Those are the two things I want to talk to you about just for a few minutes. So let's look at them together. Paul tells us here in the beginning of chapter 15 first that the resurrection is it's central. There goes my cat story. The resurrection is central. He tells us in chapter 15, verse 1, that he's going to remind those original Christians of the gospel that he preached to you. Gospel, the good news, the message that Paul lived for and eventually would die for. He's saying, here it is, Corinthians. Here's what's central. Here's the 72-ounce steak on the menu of Christianity. And then in verse 3, he begins to tell us what it is. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Look at it. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received from Jesus himself and from Christians who came before me, that what? First, Christ died for our sins. That is the, that is the heartbeat, the essence of Christianity. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and in his death, he is taking human sin upon himself. He is bearing the guilt and the shame that we deserve because of our rebellion against God the King. He was also buried, we read. Now, Jesus' burial, Paul mentions it here to, to confirm for us the fact that he really did die. Jesus claimed to be God, the eternal, immortal, immortal, only wise maker of this universe. And in the message of the gospel, we are told to believe that the God-man, Jesus the Christ, had the blood in his veins stop flowing. His heart ceased to beat. His brain waves stopped waving. His corpse was lifeless and cold in a tomb. His lips were blue. There was no life in him. If you remember the great movie, The Princess Bride, I'm glad to hear some of you laugh. You'll remember Miracle Max, I'm sure. And I use this illustration all the time in various contexts because my mind always goes back to either the Lord of the Rings or the Princess Bride. 
Um, but this time it's the Princess Bride. And you'll, you'll know that Wesley, the, her- the hero, is laying down on Miracle Max's wooden table. And Miracle Max begins to examine him. And he looks up at Andre the Giant Fezzik and he says, There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. There's a big difference, according to Miracle Max, between mostly dead and all dead. Listen, Jesus is all dead. 100%. That's why Paul tells us here that he was buried. He was dead, fully dead. That's a part of the gospel. He died for our sins. He was so certainly dead that the Roman soldiers made sure of it. And then he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Secondly, we read that what is also a part of the gospel, what is central is that after three days, verse 4, he was raised from the dead. And then verse 5 and verse 6, he began to appear to people. He appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the 12 disciples. And then he appeared, we read, to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some of whom have fallen asleep, that is, died. So Jesus of Nazareth was killed on a cross for human sin to be paid for. He remained dead for three days, and on Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday, he rose again from the dead. His heart began again to beat. The blood again began to move through his veins. The waves began to wave in his brain. His body again came to life. It was the same Jesus with a new resurrection body. Jesus came back to life after being dead. And Paul tells us that just as the burial of Jesus serves to confirm that he really died, so these appearances of Jesus to literally hundreds of people over a span of 40 days serve to confirm that he really did raise from the dead. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people on multiple occasions of all different backgrounds. And that's why Paul tells us here that If you don't believe it, you can go ask them to the original readers because most of them were still alive. There were many eyewitnesses that could tell you exactly what had happened because they saw Jesus after he had been killed, raised again to life. That's central. It's the very essence of what it means to believe the good news of Christianity. And I want you to understand that I know, and Paul knows, that it's also very, very hard in some ways to accept. I mean, I've seen dead people, not in like a sixth sense way. Um, That sounded weird. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity to to sit next to people as they died. I remember very vividly one time when we were at a former church in Arizona, I received a call one evening as we were getting ready to put the kids to bed. And the person who was a member of our church said, Kevin has died. He's, he's dead. We couldn't believe it. We're, he was crying. And so I rushed over to their house and got out of the car and began to walk into their house. And then I noticed right there in the front garden that Kevin lay there dead, completely lifeless. And it, it stunned me. I didn't expect him to be there. And after I got over the initial shock, I went and I, I looked at him a little bit more closely. And, and at the risk of sounding a little bit insensitive, it just had a sense of of finality. It had a sense of just being over. He was was clearly gone. And I want you to know that I understand that it's hard to accept that a man who really did die and remained dead for a period of days came back to life and is still alive right now. 
It's difficult to accept. And yet that is what Christianity requires of you. It's what Jesus in his own person asks of you. It's what the Bible again and again recounts for us. Yes, it is a miracle, but it is the fact that Christianity itself is based on Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God become man, died, and is now alive because he's overcome death. It's central. Now, there's a lot of directions I could take that by way of application. Let me just say this. What I don't want us to do is what I think many of us, many people in a city like San Antonio often will do when it comes to thinking about Jesus, thinking about Christianity, thinking about the resurrection. You know, Jesus' teachings are really, really popular. I mean, in a lot of ways, everyone in San Antonio just about loves Jesus. I mean, who doesn't love the Sermon on the Mount, don't judge lest you be judged? Who doesn't love that Jesus rips the religious hypocrites? Who doesn't love that Jesus loves those who are marginalized and poor and oppressed? Who doesn't love that Jesus loves little children and is full of grace and full of kindness and full of compassion? Who doesn't love the story of the prodigal son where we see God welcomes people home? Everybody loves these stories about Jesus, the message of Jesus, the the way of Jesus, but all too often we will separate the message and the way of Jesus from the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Many of us might do that even here tonight. We might think, I love Jesus' teaching. I love Jesus' way, but I can't accept the fact that a dead guy came back to life and is still alive today. That's, that's a children's fairy tale. There's no way a rational scientific person can believe it to be true. Many, many, many people have that exact notion of Christianity. Maybe you have that notion of Christianity. And I would push back with you a little bit here tonight, lovingly, and tell you that the only problem with such a mindset is that the people, the only people, by which we receive all of the teachings of Jesus and all of the stories about Jesus. The only way we have information about the way of Jesus is from these men and women who believed that he also literally rose from the dead. And more than that, they believed that his literal resurrection from the dead wasn't just a peripheral issue. No, it was the centerpiece of their faith and of the teachings and the way of Jesus. You know, if you really love the way and the teachings of Jesus, but you reject the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, really what you have to end up saying is something like this. After Jesus died... His apostles got together, his followers got together, and they said, we can't let this teaching go away. People are going to forget about it, but it's been so powerful and so helpful for us that we've got to devise a strategy that's going to allow this teaching to continue from generation to generation. Let's make up a story. Let's tell people that he's been raised from the dead. Let's create a sensation and get on the front page of the Jerusalem Times so that people will continue to remember the story and remember his teachings. Really, that's the only alternative for the actions of Jesus' followers if he didn't really rise from the dead. And so when you say, I love the way of Jesus, I love the teaching of Jesus, but I reject the resurrection of Jesus, I would urge that you consider how inconsistent that is. Here's why it's inconsistent. 
you know, it's inconsistent at best, actually, because you're saying, I accept the teachings of these guys that believe a dead guy came back to life. And moreover, if it didn't really happen, they're not good teachers. They're not, they're not just people that tell little white lies either. If Jesus is not alive, then the followers of Jesus are propagating the biggest lie, the biggest farce in the history of humanity. And I would urge you to consider what it means to follow the teachings of a huge group of liars. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus himself said that he was God. Jesus himself said he was going to be raised from the dead many times during his earthly life. So don't say, I love Jesus and I love his teachings, but there's no way he raised from the dead. Because someone who's a wonderful teacher and a wise sage is not someone who predicts that he's going to come back to life and whose followers then concoct a story about it. You know, we can't do the separation thing between the life and teachings of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. No one's put it better than C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Here's what he wrote. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is central to everything about Christianity. But it's also essential. I know those are very common and uh, sometimes overlapping ideas, but I think that's what Paul's getting at here in the later verses that were read for us, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 15. He said that central to his message, central to his gospel, is the physical death of Jesus and the physical resurrection of Jesus And the witnesses attest to that being true. And also essential to the gospel is the physical death and resurrection of Jesus. What he does here is, in a sense, he puts forward a hypothetical question. Let's just assume for the sake of argument, he says, that Jesus is dead. Where does that leave you if you're a Christ follower? Where does that leave you if you're considering whether or not Christianity is valid? What if Jesus has not been raised? And as Paul lays it out for us, you'll see very clearly that it does not leave you in a good place if Jesus is not physically raised from the dead and yet you want to be a Christian. In fact, he says that the resurrection is essential for your past, for your present, and for your future. He says it's essential for your past. In verse 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then, uh, where is that? Sorry, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and what? You are still in your sins. Now, one of the great things about the Christian faith is that it offers a way for your guilt and your shame and the darkness of your past to be completely and forever wiped away. Christianity offers you forgiveness, you see. It offers you a new lease on life. 
It offers you the very beautiful idea that the eternal holy God of the universe will accept you no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been, no matter where you're from. Your sins can be wiped away. Everything about your inner life and your outer life that you don't like, that you know is wrong deep down. The guilt that you carry with you, the shame that plagues you, it can all be taken away because Christ has died for all of those things. But if Jesus has not been raised, that is not the case. You see, if Jesus is dead, you are still in your sins, Paul says. And the reason is because the resurrection of Jesus is like, it's like God's stamp of approval on Jesus' death. It's the way that we can know for sure that what Jesus did in his death really does give us forgiveness. If Jesus isn't raised physically, bodily, we have no way to know that our past could ever be wiped out. We have no way to know that the weight of guilt and shame can be taken away from us by God. We have no way to know that God is merciful. The resurrection is essential for your past. And it's also essential for your present. He says there in 14, that if Jesus has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. (laughs) What am I doing with my life, man? If Jesus isn't alive, I'm up here preaching my guts out to you guys. And it's an absolute waste of breath if he's dead. But it's also an absolute waste of breath for you to believe these things. Your faith is in vain. It's futile. It's worthless if Jesus is dead. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've most likely given thousands, tens of thousands of dollars away to charity and to the church and to good nonprofit ministries in your life. That's a complete waste if Jesus is dead. If you're a Christian, you probably take great hope and comfort in the sense of inner peace that you oftentimes feel when you pray and ask God to help you with something and you see something pop up in your life that helps. That's a complete farce. You're psychologically imbalanced if Jesus is dead. If Jesus is dead, what are you doing here? Go to the lake. Go watch basketball. Go do something fun. Why are we meeting if Jesus is dead? Everything you're doing as a follower of his is completely vain and worthless, Paul says. Your past is uncertain. Your present is a waste of time. And the resurrection is also essential, Paul says, for our futures. Look at what he says. Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And then in those verses 21 and 22 and 23, he's explaining how beautiful it is for us that Jesus is alive. But he sums it up there in verse 18 when he says, those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ perished. Now listen, this is going to be hard, but I want you to listen. Most of you in your life have been to a funeral of a loved one. Your grandma or your grandpa, your mom or your dad, maybe God perished the thought one of your children. Most of you have heard the preacher get up and say, because this man trusted in Jesus and loved Jesus, you can be certain that when you die, you will be reunited with him. You will see grandma again one day. Your child is in a better place now. Everything is going to be all right in the end. Jesus is not alive. That is not true. If Jesus is dead, you will not be raised from the dead because there is no resurrection from the dead. You have no reason to hope that you will ever see your lost loved ones who tried to love Jesus during their life again if Jesus is dead. 
you have no reason to hope that there's anything worth loving after this life is over if Jesus is dead. If Jesus is dead, he's gone. Poof, end of story. He's perished. If Jesus is dead, we're gone. Poof, end of story. We perish. The resurrection of Jesus is essential. It's essential for your past. It's essential for your present. It's essential for your future. If Jesus is not raised, we of all people, Paul says, are most to be pitied. But Jesus is alive. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Death cannot hold him. Jesus is risen. The grave cannot keep him down. Jesus is risen. If you trust him, you can be utterly certain that everything in your past that was wrong has been made right because it's all been given to Jesus in his death. If Jesus is alive, you can be certain that what you're experiencing now in your life as you try to follow him, whether it's suffering or whether it's joy, is worth it and has purpose because your present matters. If Jesus is alive, then you can know for sure that you will one day be alive again forever with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow. This entire universe will bloom into new life again. Because Christ is risen. That is what you must consider as you consider what it means to follow him. Is Jesus alive? The fact that he is brings such a comfort, such sweetness, such a calm, such a sense of rest to the souls of those who've trusted him. That I'd love for you to experience it. Or what I would not love for you to do is leave here and consider Christianity and make a judgment on it based on some peripheral issue. Don't leave here and say, well, my parents got divorced when I was little and the church kicked my mom out and I'm mad and I don't want anything to do with Christianity. That's not the most important thing. Is Jesus alive? Don't leave here and think, well, I don't like the way that Christians handle politics, and I disagree with them on some social issues. I really don't want anything. Don't leave here thinking that. Is Jesus alive? Don't leave here thinking, well, I don't really want to give up my Sundays, and I don't know about this church people. Uh, They don't really, they're kind of weird. I don't know about the singing. Why is everybody singing? Is Jesus alive? That is the issue that you need to consider. If he is alive, then you should at least consider whether everything else is true. If he is dead, don't worry about everything else because it's all worthless anyway. But Jesus is risen. He's risen. If you believe that, it will change everything. Not immediately, but over time. And it will undoubtedly, immediately change everything in the moment of your death. As we conclude, I want to tell you a story from uh, Rico Tice who is a preacher at a church in London. And uh, he speaks with unbelieving people, people that aren't followers of Christ all the time, and with Christian people all the time. And he often talks about the resurrection of Jesus and really wants to get down to the nitty-gritty of what does it actually mean at the end of the day. And so he tells this story. He talks about a, a dear mentor and friend of his that was about to die. And Rico went to visit him. And these two were very close. They had had 
much life experience together. They had had deep conversations with one another. They trusted each other. They were very emotionally connected. And as he lay watching his older friend dying, he was sad and he began to cry as is completely okay and natural when we see a loved one about to pass. And then something came over him and he felt like asking this man a question that he had always wondered about, but he had never been courageous enough to ask anyone else. And so he, he blurted out, are you afraid to die? And then he immediately regretted it. Oh, I can't believe I just asked this guy that right before he faces death. What's that going to do to his heart? But his old friend looked at him and reached out his hand and cupped his head and brought him in close and said, there's no fear in death for Christ is risen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you that that happened in history. It really did happen about 2,000 years ago now in Jerusalem, just outside the city walls on a, cro- on a cross. He died and then in a tomb that was loaned to him when the women came to anoint his body with perfume and oil. The stone had been rolled away. The grave coals were folded up and he was gone. And they said, why? The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. Oh, Father, help us to embrace in faith that fact. And Father, not just as an intellectual curiosity, something that happened that might have never happened at another time in human history, but as something that really did radically alter the universe's course. And indeed, will also radically alter our course if we trust it. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe what seems unbelievable, that you became one of us. You died for our frailty and messiness and rebellion, and then you were raised up from the dead. It really did happen. You've overcome death. And because that's true, we will overcome death. Because that's true, our life has purpose. Because that's true, our past can be wiped away and we can have a new start. Because that's true, we're again your friends. Because that's true, God, everything changes. Help us to believe it to be true. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.